You're listening to Asset Arrest, helping you see the most exclusive parts of the city. Hello and welcome to episode 7 of Asset Arrest, a podcast in which each episode centres around a viewing of a different luxury property that I, Laura Yule, attend with a different invited guest each time. So far I've been looking at the high end of residential property in London and Berlin, the type that is largely being marketed towards a global audience looking to invest. This episode continues my viewing tour of Berlin with a trip to see a soon-to-be-finished penthouse at the Gleis Park development in Kreuzberg from the developer Bauwens. My guest this time was researcher Helga Peters. Helga is a postdoctoral researcher at Oxford University right now where he's primarily conducting social science research and community modelling on urban water infrastructure in London. Helga recently moved back to Berlin and is part of an activist group called Deutsche Wohnen and Co. in Tegnen, who are fighting to have properties owned by huge corporate landlords returned to the state. Um, so please check out the link in the podcast description to find out more about them as well. Helga suggested viewing property at this development as he was interested in how the developers had essentially appropriated and used the recently finished park as a means to sell and brand luxury property, which then obviously pushes up prices in the area. Um, So this is a process that's been labelled by some as green gentrification or environmental gentrification or eco-gentrification. So green gentrification refers to a process started by the implementation of an environmental planning agenda that relates to green spaces such as Gleisdreieck Park and then leads to the exclusion and displacement of politically disenfranchised residents. So environmental improvements tend to obviously increase quality of life but they also increase property values, especially as urban environmental consciousness grows and thus prices out existing residents and draws in new wealthier residents much like other forms of gentrification. So a bit more about the development and location before we meet Helga. So the developers Bauvins see themselves as a promoter of public green spaces and boast that they have developed 178 digitalised urban apartments without losing a single centimetre of green space. Situated in Kreuzberg, not too far from Potsdamer Platz, they proclaim the development to be in the middle of Berlin, but still in the countryside. Dr Alexander Reichuber, managing partners at Bauvins Digital, a subsidiary of Bauvins, says the Gleis Park is an exciting pilot project for us. In view of the housing shortage in the city, the focus is increasingly on the conversion of vacant real estate. However, this is not only about covering the increasing demand for space quantitatively, quality is crucial. Today, new living space must offer a high level of user and living comfort. Reichuber says that developers need to rethink real estate in view of the ongoing digitalisation. Technically, a lot now is possible, he says. That gives us the opportunity to design our buildings much more efficiently and in a more tenant-friendly way. So residents can use an app to control lighting, underfloor heating and blinds. Um, They can track energy consumption in real time using a smartphone, electricity, water and heat consumption can be specifically regulated on this basis. And in the basements, they also have access to numerous digitally rentable storage areas, as well as being able to use an app to book extra services, such as the use of washing machines and dryers. On the website of Gruner Berlin, Greisterreich Park is described as being made up of Eastern and Western Ostpark and Westpark sections, and that it has evolved from an inaccessible wasteland to 
becoming a favourite place for Berliners and tourists of all ages. In Well, from 1874 until it was destroyed in the Second World War, the site was used as freight and mail rail yards and linked to Anhalter Bahnhof and Potsdamer Bahnhof. Then before a serious accident in 1912, railway lines intersected here in the form of a triangle or dryet from which the area takes its name. Passenger and freight rail services ceased here after 1945 and only S-Bahn and U-Bahn trains continued to cross the former railway yards which gradually turned into an inaccessible urban wasteland. So before we hear from Helga let's just see what the brochure has to say about the development and the location. In the centre of Berlin, yet still surrounded by nature, Gleis Park presents centrally located living space in one of the most modern parks in the world. Berlin is growing. More and more people are moving to the German capital. New apartments in interesting and centrally located areas are highly sought after. Our Gleis Park project aims to replace unused parking space with a high-quality, family-friendly residential area directly next to the award-winning park. A city that never sleeps should have somewhere to relax. Seat of the government. The modern age. Occupation zones. Fall of the wall. Capital city. Startup city. No other German city is developing as quickly and explosively as Berlin. This is a metropolis that is not only in touch with the latest trends, but also sets the trends itself, writes history, and determines politics. Berlin shapes the world, and the world shapes Berlin. People from nearly 190 countries are the true face of this cosmopolitan and tolerant metropolis, which attracts some 40,000 newcomers each year with its high quality of life. No wonder the facts speak for themselves. More than 90% of residents are happy living in this city. Optimism is present in the economy as well. 64% of the small and mid-sized businesses describe their current status as good or very good. They are optimistic about the future. Value your inner values. For families, or for those who want to become one. Family friend. That's what you might call the duplex apartment in Gleis Park, because not only does it offer enough space for the whole family, it also offers yet another excellent perk separate living and relaxation space. Downstairs is the family hub, with an expanded open-plan kitchen and direct access to the park, giving you an opportunity to take a spontaneous trip outside, should you ever have the need. Your apartment is your very own getaway, a safe haven from everyday stresses, and a recreational space for those spoiled by success. A breathtaking backdrop for special moments. At the top, The Gleis Park Penthouse welcomes you to the highest floor. This type of apartment is perfect for anyone who no longer has a need to prove anything, precisely because they have already reached the top. Just like the Highline Park in New York, this park is representative of the pioneering park architecture of the 20th century. Berlin is booming. The economy is growing. The number of residents is growing. Salaries are increasing, and these trends are showing no signs of stopping. The value of apartments in Berlin is set to keep rising.
Hi Helga, thanks for coming to Gleistraia Park with me today. Maybe you can start by introducing yourself and the research you do. Sure, so I'm a postdoctoral researcher at the School of Geography and the Environment at uh, University of Oxford, but I live here in Berlin. And my research is broadly to do with human-environment relations and how we get to have ideas about the environment in such a way that we think we can govern it. And I have, at the moment I'm doing mostly fieldwork in London, where I look at blue-green infrastructure planning, specifically at how to involve local communities in the planning of these things. But I also have an emerging research interest in the sort of intersection between environmental justice and urban planning. And that is one of the reasons why I find this site at which we are right now, uh, Park and Gleistreich, really fascinating and would love to learn more about it and use this opportunity to talk a little bit about it in very exploratory and uninformed ways. And have you mainly focused on London with this research so far? And has that been looking at spaces like this or you've been focusing on particular infrastructures there? In London I've, I'm looking at the moment mostly at um, urban water. So this would be rivers, canals, uh, ponds, um, wetlands and so on and there in particular I'm looking, working with uh, local community groups, uh, call them like environmental stewardship groups, people who care about the local environment, want to improve it, um, want to do something about the pollution of urban water and so on and so forth. And I I am specifically interested in how the work of these groups interfaces with all sorts of other actors, be that local councils, be that property developers, be that uh, Thames Water, the big utility company, and how they do or do not work together and what kinds of conflicts and different interests uh, might be at play there. And if you know anything about London, then that everything to do with like land and uh, interventions in urban space immediately uh, sort of opens the, the question, the issue of like property value. And it's, of course, the property developers are quite powerful in London. And so that is an interesting thing for me to look at, how to like empower community groups vis-a-vis -vis these kinds of big institutional actors that have a lot of money to commission studies and expertise. And uh, I, as a researcher, would rather see my role in uh, empowering communities and creating their own expertise mm -hmm. that they then can use in these kinds of negotiations with all these uh, big actors. One particularly interesting development that that I've been looking at in London that kind of sparked my interest also in spaces like this here in Berlin, this, this park, is in the north of London. There is a local council, Enfield, that is creating, developing a uh, brownfield, kind of post-industrial wasteland a little bit in the Lee Valley. And they want to build several thousand homes there and it's council-led development, it's quite interesting because it's not a private developer that does it. Okay. But nevertheless, there is, of course, this idea of, you know, some of these homes being like social rent, some of these house, homes being uh, affordable rent, mm. and then the rest being market rent, and the market rent homes being used to cross-subsidize the rest, yeah, uh, which yeah. is a model that has failed over and over again, or at least let in the in the eyes of many, <laughs> has failed. And the council is trying to do the, something similar there. And I totally believe that the council has the interests of its constituents at heart there. However, what I found interesting when I read the master plan of that development because it sits like slap bang in the middle of the River Lee, the River Lee navigation or the Lee, Lee navigation rather and several brooks that are tributaries there so it's like surrounded by streams by urban water that are actually quite polluted and uh, the master plan has these architectural visualizations how beautiful all of this is going to look and all the various benefits are going to come from that and this whole development is branded as an eco waterfront development <laughs> so it has these themes of sustainability and so on but also waterfronts so kind of luxury 
luxurious, right? Waterfront living that's very highly desirable. And then, of course, because of the large development, there are some bits that are not waterfront at all. And then there are some bits that are directly by the canal. And what the master plan proposes, and I'm not sure they're going to go through with this. Uh, this is quite an old plan, this is several years ago, is to create little inlets from the canal and then build the houses around these inlets. And what it says is that this creates an, a benefit in a changing climate where we will experience more days that are, you know, incredibly hot and it will be, become almost unbearable to, to be in a city, you know, in a heat island. But living close to a body of water and these little inlets that are directly adjacent to these new sort of luxury developments will have these beneficial effects of cooling this down. But then also the houses that are directly adjacent to these supposedly artificially created inlets are also the most expensive. So clearly there is a question of, you know, just who gets to enjoy the benefits of the sustainable urban planning of the of the eco of that eco waterfront development and that's what I'm interested in is so how do, is urban planning in some ways involved in uh, as particularly when it is motivated by you know beneficial things like uh, climate change adaptation and uh, these sorts of things mm. uh, sustainability uh, how is it nevertheless perhaps in ways that are not entirely obvious and unintended certainly nevertheless complicit with questions of you know inequality and the way in which inequality plays out in urban space and yeah. that's how I got interested in the place in which we are right now which is a huge park that just opened a few years ago and uh, has been entirely you know newly designed and built uh, this is formerly a, uh, a rail yard where we're at so this was like industrial wasteland another brownfield that was inaccessible and it's managed by Grün Berlin which is the parks management of Berlin and it's supposed to be uh, Parts of it are designed to be an urban wilderness where you encounter biodiversity in ways in which you usually cannot in this in a city. Um, and it's supposed to have all these beneficial effects for the public and for the environment and so on and so forth. But right next to this park, uh, right behind us at the moment actually, there are these new luxury developments that are marketed precisely as being adjacent to this park and having you know all these benefits. So in some way, the public gain of this this public uh, the, the public benefit of this public park is being converted into, translated into private gain of real estate developers. And of course, in Berlin at the moment, there are a lot of anxieties that these kinds of luxury developments, that one of which we are about to view, contribute to the displacement of low-income communities. And we are right here in Kreuzberg in an area that is traditionally low and middle income and that has seen extreme and aggressive gentrification in the last few years. And uh, there's a lot of anxiety and of course also a lot of mobilization and community uh, community mobilization around this issue at the moment, which is why I find this a very fascinating place that we're at. And has there been community action around what's happening here, around this park? specifically right like so is this local like do you know anything about yeah i guess this particular local community i know that there is a oh, there has been a community group since the 1980s that has been trying to open up this rail yard for community use to create like community gardens and some uh, uh, similar things. And this community group actually managed to kick up enough of a stink that it managed to prevent some really hideous ideas of what should, you know, happen with this space. So I, if I remember correctly, one of the initial plans was to actually build a highway through this entire space here. Um, <laughs> so that didn't happen, <laughs> uh, obviously, because we're sitting here, there's no cars around. But then for decades, like this didn't go anywhere. And uh, I think what eventually changed is that not far from here, there is Potsdamer Platz, which is an absolutely terrible glass and steel corporate plaza on the site where there used 
to be at the no man's land between West, East and West Berlin. And I think some of the money that came out of the development of Potsdamer Platz has then finally been used to create this public park. But as far as I know, the original community group that actually made this possible by making sure that this is not being developed into a highway or even worse. As far as I understand it, they've pretty much been shut out of the process. But you know, don't, I know you're recording this, but don't quote me on this. <laughs> I might be wrong on this. I have to do a little bit more research and actually talk to the people involved. But uh, there's definitely a prehistory of community mobilization to this place. So the park was, was created and then I guess it probably didn't take long before the developers started using that as a as a trait to sell the area on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, it's almost entirely surrounded or uh, at least in this bit of the park where we are, it's almost entirely surrounded by new developments. And, uh, and this these one... are not developments that I can certainly speak for myself uh, that I could afford yeah. to live in. And I'm pretty sure like the average Berliner, you know, doesn't because we do live in a city that has seen some economic growth over the last few years, but it's not filtering down to the majority of people here. Mm. And we do live in a city where still about half of Berliners are eligible for housing benefit. This is not a wealthy city. Yeah. Um, so, you know, who are these homes for, I'm asking? Well, the one we're going to see, I think, is about 1.1 million or just over that. Right. Um, for like a, I can't remember the square meters, but uh, three rooms. What you get for your money is just as shocking as it is in London, to be honest. Um, yeah, and it's, I mean, it's a symptom of, I suppose, I mean, I'm sure there are people who can afford to get a, a mortgage for a place like that or who have a trust fund or something like that. I don't mm. know. But I'm suspecting that this is about buying a home as an asset, you know. I'm yeah. uh, hoping that, that you know, it'll appreciate the value, that you can maybe you know, buy to let or whatever. I don't know. I mean, I don't have like one and a half millions lying on the bank not knowing what to do with it. So I don't really know how these people are necessarily thinking who would buy such a home at the end of the day. Yep. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> and you're also involved in a group, uh, like a housing, is it an activist group, would you describe it? So or? I'm involved, uh, this is an, another hat that I'm wearing, apart from being an academic, I'm uh, also involved in some housing activism in Berlin, specifically in a campaign called Deutsche Wohnen und Co. Enteignen, or um, the translation would be Expropriate Deutsche Wohnen and Co. What we do is we organize a referendum, popular referendum, referendum, uh, at the end of which there will hopefully be a law that transfers the property of all corporate landlords that own uh, more than 3,000 apartments in the city into public ownership. So you could say we want to nationalize them, although that wouldn't be entirely accurate. What we really want to do is socialize them. So they shouldn't be run by the state, but should be run by a statutory body that we would create uh, through that law and that would be democratically uh, managed by tenants themselves. The German constitution actually allows that, it's just never been done before, okay. but it is a proposal that enjoys pretty widespread support in this city. Uh, yeah. Some polls say uh, about half of Berliners are in favor, and I think that is a result of the pretty aggressive strategies of large corporate landlords such as the Deutsche Wohnen Company, which gives our campaign its name, which owns more than 110,000 apartments in the city, mm. so it's a significant capital concentration here. I don't think a private landlord, there is a private landlord that in London, for instance, that owns that many homes. It's also relatively recent in that um, 
it's basically the result of a wave of privatization privatizations, excuse me, that happened here in the early 2000s. The city was broke because of a, a banking crash and it basically then sold off its public housing and privatized it at fire sale prices uh, back then because in 2004 there was no, rents didn't really rise in Berlin and there was plenty of space and yeah, so they completely undervalued these departments and sold them off and this is why we have these large mega landlords here like Deutsche Wohnen and the next largest is Vonovia with 44,000 and then there's about 10 more that own more than 3,000 units. I think one of them is actually British, they call Pairs. And so what we're trying to achieve with the campaign is to really shift the direction away from like capital concentration and sort of financialized displacement of low and middle income communities in the city towards public ownership and tenants having a democratic say about how their houses are managed and run and uh, more a commons model of housing, if you will. And this referendum takes place, is it like on a certain date? So there is a three-step process. In the first step, in order to actually apply for for a referendum, you have to collect, what was it? To collect, I think it was 20,000 signatures. We collected, I forgot that number, because we collected significantly more, namely 77,000, and in a very short amount of time. And so in the next step, basically the, the, the city government has to uh, evaluate whether our proposal is constitutional. But of course, in our view, it is, and there are also also six different legal studies by six different sort of legal scholars and constitutional experts that say yes absolutely this is constitutional and so we'll see what the outcome of that is of that evaluation which is ongoing at the moment and the next step then we would have to collect more than 100,000 signatures, something around just 1,040, I think. It's basically a percentage of the number of voting, uh, number of voters here. If we manage to do that, then there will be a uh, an actual like polling date, and people will be okay. called to the polls, and you know, just like um, yeah, any other, referendum. just like any other referendum. And of course, we are very optimistic that uh, it'll work. You know, the interesting thing is that because there are some political actors who think that our proposal is a little bit too extreme. I was wondering why, but that's a position for them to defend, not for me. They basically said, well, you know, this sort of high popular support for this referendum idea, for this idea to just, you know, flat out like nationalize corporate landlords is a symptom of a real problem that we need to address. But clearly, we cannot just take away other people's property. Uh, that would be a bad thing in a market economy and so on and so forth. But so what they did instead is they came up with a proposal that's called a rent cap, which will come into effect in January and which will freeze rents for five years. And uh, if it's not watered down, will actually also lower some rents, which uh, would certainly be a good thing. And as a result of this rent cap, the share values of these companies that we're up against, of these large corporate landlords, because they're listed companies, their shares have been traded, already dropped precipitously in some cases, especially in the case of Deutsche Wohnen, which is highly exposed to the Berlin market, owns more than 70% of its property here. Mm-hmm. So any regulatory change in Berlin that affects the amount of money they can make of their assets in the future actually has an effect on the valuation of their assets or the expected valuation of their assets in the present, wow. which is fun. So in some sense, uh, we've already had a, I would say, a partial victory here. So, yeah, I would say things are going fairly well, but we have to keep at it and uh, make sure... Why five years? Do you know why? I mean, is that just because it's a... You'll have to ask. Seems like a decent amount of time. (laughs) Yeah, I mean... 
you'll, I guess. you'll have to ask yeah, the, the administration that came up with this. Yeah, um, yeah I, don't, I don't really know why it's just five years. I also think that it can really only be a stopgap measure, you know. Hmm. At the end of the day, we need to change something about the ownership structure here. Yeah. And uh, it was a, yeah unbelievable mistake that just boggles the mind that a city would sell off the majority of its, not the majority, but a huge chunk of its uh, public housing stock and then a few years later suddenly wake up and realize, oh yeah, private actors are actually profit-oriented. Uh, so what do we do now? <laughs> so yeah, in a, in a sense, what we want to do is like reverse this terrible decision and then some. Asset arrest, making contact, gaining access, asking questions, wasting time. Um, okay, we're just out of our viewing at um, Penthouse Apartment. At Park am Gleisdreieck. <laughs> Sorry, I can't or say that the word. The development Gleisdreieck. is called uh, Gleis Park. Yes. Which is an extremely creative naming. You just take a few syllables out of the place where it's at and rearrange them. So we, it wasn't finished completely. Um, we got some hard hats, and yeah, it was, it was almost finished. But it was, you had totally, to use a bit of imagination. Uh, we totally missed the opportunity of taking hard hat selfies. Yeah, I know. I thought that. of that, and then <laughs> there was did, no did moment feel, where he left us. Did you feel it would have been inappropriate? <laughs> <laughs> I just do, do, do rich people not do that? I think <laughs> rich probably people not. don't do selfies in hard hats. Okay, but maybe they do because they probably don't usually have hard hats on. Huh. Uh, but like he, I don't know, he didn't really let us wander on our own at any moment, but maybe that's because it was a bit dangerous. Well, maybe he was afraid that we would run away in the <laughs> That was probably, I mean, not, I'm like, that's, that's the smallest penthouse I've ever seen. Yeah, it was a little bit, it was a bit depressing. Like, I'd um, say it's just, don't call it a penthouse. Like I know that that just means it's the top one, but Right. It, it comes with a certain indication of some kind of grandeur or something that this it's was true. lacking, I think. It was fairly small. It has a very, had a very nice rooftop terrace, I gotta say. Um, that mm. was clearly a plus, but then you, you would have to enjoy the rooftop terrace with closed eyes because right opposite, like the thing that you're seeing is this awful faux Bauhaus developer modernism <laughs> of these other development developments. And uh, it's just terrible. I mean, it's depressing. I would get instantly depressed then. Mm. But yeah, what I found interesting is the he didn't talk up the park so much. I actually had to like, specifically ask him to talk about that. What which did is a he bit said? There was a horrible park here before. Yeah, there then... was an awful park, and then they made it nice, which is pretty much all he had to say about it. Also, that this is just like uh, the sort of a small bit of it, and that it continues. And he said something interesting, which is that in the summer it's actually too hot in this park because there are not enough trees and there's no shade, so mm. there's less people. And he talked that up as a plus that you you know you you don't have to look at the peasant folk using. <laughs> the park <laughs> down from your from your penthouse because uh, they're fleeing the heat him talking about these kind of tall buildings they're gonna build um, I mean I guess he was saying this is a plus I mean I, I just find that hard to listen to that they're right. making like towering co-working space and commercial units and right. you know they're gonna attract all these creatives and artists and businesses and he's really saying this as if it's a kind of genuine plus yeah. But I guess it is in terms of if you're looking for an investment, perhaps it is. I mean, it was in a way very stereotypical for the way in which Berlin is being marketed as a city, uh, or has been marketed as a city. I mean, it's begin beginning to fray a little bit at the edges, this narrative of Berlin as the creative city mm. um, that is so interesting and vibrant because it has all these creative types and artists and all the rest of it. Partly because it's become so obvious that talking up creativity and, and art is just like 
a part of real estate marketing strategies and that's really what you can see here like the sites that you pointed out where they want to build all these commercial like office space towers that I'm sure are going to be awful uh, now have these temporary uses there's like an, a craft brewery there's like a co-working space for like creatives as you put it and uh, this is clearly just to charge this area symbolically and make it like desirable in this very Berlin-y way of this sort of cliched cartoonish idea that people have of Berlin as a place of creativity and arts and then uh, raise them mm. and build office towers on top of them yeah and <laughs> so that's yeah it's awful but the, the way he told the story is an almost pure example of, of the way um, the discourse of creativity has become enlisted into real estate marketing and um, yeah it's pretty terrible how did that feel for you as someone who's actually professionally involved in the art world I mean he's talking about your world and talking about it in such a way yeah. as, as I mean I just think it's hilarious to what he does because right? he uses the word artist but he's talking about essentially office space and something that is like the complete opposite of what any artist would be interested in or require right but I mean I guess he's thinking of I mean I, I think the word artist to these people just means like tech entrepreneur to be honest or like <laughs> it's all the same thing yep yeah. it's just um, being like a freelance vaguely creative person or something right, right. but it's also I don't know it's interesting because obviously having viewed a lot of property in London so many of the developers really use this cultural placemaking strategies mm -hmm. And you know, I even I even ended up renting a studio that an arts organisation had been given for free through this developer. I mean, I paid for the space, but there was the middleman didn't pay for it. And yeah, had this horrible year working on this. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen this development called London City Island. No, I haven't. It's like East kind of Canning Town. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's like this kind of I guess you might call it hyper gentrification, where they're not even allowing the organic process of mm -hmm. artists or whatever moving to the area. They're just the developers leading the gentrification. Right. Yeah. It, I mean, I guess that's quite similar to the green gentrification or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, it is similar. And it makes me think that I should go and revisit some of that literature that came out of like, say, critical assessments of the role of the arts and in, in, mm. um, in these kinds of like uh, real estate strategies. I think Josephine Barry Slater, who I think is also teaching at Goldsmiths, she wrote this yeah. uh, slim but very clever book called No Room to Move, mm. a contemporary art in the, in the regenerate city or something like that, where she looked specifically at London and East London and how like public art and urban art and so on become enlisted in these, as you say, cultural placemaking strategies that then translate into property values and yeah, you know yeah. uh, profits for, for real estate companies. And they always have some narrative about um, how their development is combining the uh, like slick uh, financial world of East London with the like edgy artistic yeah, worlds and right. these two things come together in perfect yeah. harmony and create this perfect place to live right but it's just that you know on, on the one end those people probably the artists have to like subsidize their lack of income by then serving coffee to the people in the suits yeah and, uh, providing <laughs> yeah. a little bit of like ambient creativity yeah it's, it's awful what i also um 
when I asked him, you know, who who bought the other apartments, um, he so very proudly said, oh, it's a typical Berlin mix. And then he went off about a notion, like he said, like all the different nationalities that people come from. He really made a point that a gay couple would live <laughs> next to like a heteronormative family and all the rest <laughs> of it. And yeah, different like age groups and nationalities and sexual orientations and whatnot. <laughs> yeah, Just the, the, one, the one thing that he did not talk about that would be like he was talking up discourse of diversity right like mm. Berlin is a diverse place this is lovely but he totally uh, forgot to mention like one dimension of diversity which is class yeah well I mean for fuck's sake like no one I really says poor the like, prices <laughs> start at 500,000 so that's not typical for Berlin like this city yeah. is not a wealthy city I also don't believe him that most people intend to live there who are buying it obviously especially after him saying that someone had preserved four penthouses to begin with. Yeah, what was that about? Which is, I think, kind of insane, given that I, yeah, I don't know if you can even be that profitable renting something like that out in an investment way. It's a good question. It would actually be interesting to talk to people who buy these places and understand a little bit where they're coming from. I yeah. mean, yeah, sure, if you want to buy it to live there, you probably just have the money. But he talked about like a business person uh, who would live right next to you if you were buying that apartment who is traveling 300 days a year so he's <laughs> buying a place that costs north of a million to have a crash pad for like what 65 days a year that's like two months mm. and change who travels 300 days a year? i don't know people with money not us that means they work somewhere else and they go there every week right Probably. and then they come back for the weekends yeah again i mean like a million euros is quite, you know, a large sum for buying a crash pad in Berlin. He also, but I guess he didn't mention the kind of loud rumbling of the trains, <laughs> right, <laughs> which is it. quite a... Oh, that just adds to the an urban flair, Yeah, Yeah, well, thank you for <laughs> coming and no, seeing that with me. Thank, thank you for <laughs> inviting me along. Uh, this was definitely a little anthropological experience. We have uh, stepped into the other side. Would you want to do his job, though? Well, I feel like I'm training to do it in, in some way. Like, I could right. probably do this job and be really, like, sneaky. Maybe. I mean, I'm learning the type of things they say quite closely, I guess. Right. But, I mean, it doesn't take, so you could fake it take a now. genius to, so, to guess. <laughs> but, yeah. So, maybe if the arts PhD does not translate into um, a regular paycheck, you can start uh, yeah. flipping penthouses. I've been a freelance estate <laughs> agent <laughs> for many years. <laughs> So the development Helga mentions in Enfield is the Meridian Water Scheme, which is a planned riverside community of 2,300 homes, as well as purpose-built student accommodation and a hotel, alongside commercial, retail and social infrastructure along the riverfront and a new primary school. Um, they propose that 40% of this will be affordable housing, but whether this plan materialises or not is still to be seen. There's currently fight back from the Conservative government over the plan, who are arguing that it will hugely increase the council's debt and that they should start with only a small number of affordable homes and gradually increase that as they generate income from selling more expensive homes. Please do check out the link to Deutsche Wohnen and Co. in Teigen, who are doing lots of amazing work and seeing some exciting results. In English, the name would be Expropriate Deutsche Wohnen & Co. And this series of Asset Rest has been made possible thanks to support from the Newbridge Project in Newcastle and Durham University's Politics of Urban Social Innovation Research Project. In other news, Asset Rest will be heading to China in December and will be doing a viewing tour of Guangzhou, Shenzhen and Hong Kong. So if anyone has 
any suggestions of properties to view or people to get in touch with, then please let me know. Next week will be a terrifying trip to the top of Berlin's new highest residential block. Till then, bye. (laughs) 